Welcome. This is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. We want to thank you for taking time to listen to our Sun, Salt, and Light broadcast. We want you to know and grow in the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, and be the salt and the light. We'd like to thank you so much for taking time to listen to this broadcast. We simply teach the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we believe that God changes a life one verse at a time. I'd like to personally invite you out to come and see the church. Uh, it is a very casual atmosphere, and uh, but we do take the Word of God very seriously. We meet in a non-traditional church building. We actually meet at the BFW 3966 in Divine, Texas. It's located at 211 West College Avenue, big white building right next to the post office. Our service times are on Sunday when we go through the New Testament uh, at 10 a.m. and then on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. we go through the Old Testament. Uh, we have children's ministry available for both services and if you need to get more information on the church you can go to calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bible ready we'll begin our verse-by-verse study in the book of Mark chapter 14 verses 53 through 72. The title of this sermon is, Are You the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Here's the first half of this two-part we'll study. We'll look at it in three parts. The first part in verses 53 through 59, false witnesses. And verses 60 through 65, a firm response from Jesus. And in verse 66 through 72, a failure and fall of Peter. So when we last left off in the scripture, Peter was seized, uh, Jesus was seized. Uh, Peter scattered along with the other disciples. And, uh, and, and now we are going to deal with the trials that will come up uh, for Jesus. This is one of them. Understand there were actually six trials. There were three religious trials, and then there were three civil trials. The religious trials uh, that were there were with Ananias uh, and Caiaphas, and then with the Sanhedrin. That was the religious ones. And then you all know the civil trials from the Roman uh, from Pilate and from Herod Antipas, and then he goes back to Pilate again. And, and one of the things that we, we need to understand as we're looking at this, uh, the sad part is, is they're actually going to do everything they can to break their own laws. And, and, and within that happening, they're going to show the corruption that happens within the Sanhedrin and with the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. These were the same people that told them, you, you must keep the Sabbath, right? And yet they're going to break the law uh, just so they can try Jesus. And we'll get into that as we, as we dive into it. There are two trials that we'll be looking at. The trial that Jesus will be going through and then the trial, a, a personal trial that Peter will be going through. Um, and, and, you know, Peter's denial, it's, it's a tough piece of scripture because it is, it is a reminder of his disobedience and the sin that he fell into. And so there's a lot of lessons to learn from today's uh, scripture. So let's get into the first part as false witnesses show up in verse 53. And it says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. So you have the, the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court system. And now the Jewish court system is based upon biblical law and, and the law of the, of the land at the time. And it was to protect the Jewish people. Uh, and, and it started back with Moses back in Numbers chapter 11, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of, of the elders of the Israel, 
whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand uh, there with you. And we know that the scribes, the Pharisees, the elder, and the high priest are going to be involved in this. And one of the sad things is, is they're going to completely corrupt their system, uh, their court system that they had set up. They weren't allowed actually to, to hold even a session at nighttime, but yet they're going to try Jesus at night. They weren't allowed to, to actually bring charges against someone. The Sanhedrin wasn't allowed to do that, but they did. Whenever there was a death penalty case, they had to wait 24 hours to make their decision, and yet they broke that rule too. If they held a session on the Sabbath or any of the seven biblical holidays, they weren't allowed to hold the trial. They would have to wait until after. But they break all of these rules just so they can try Jesus. In verse 54, it says, And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. It's a sad piece of scripture because what you see is Peter is following Jesus, but he's doing it at a distance. And he's never called us to do that. The other thing that we see is Jesus, as, as Peter is there following Jesus, he's doing what? He's in the enemy's backyard. He's warming himself with the enemy's fire. And that's what happens when we start allowing distance in our relationship with Christ. You start allowing things back into your life that you never should have allowed, and you create distance. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says, And calling, to the, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He didn't say follow me at a distance, right? But that's what Peter's doing. Peter is, is struggling with fear, and it re just reminds me of the song Sarah just sung. Because fear cripples you. And, and it does a lot of people. They don't know what to do once they, they become fearful. What their next steps are supposed to be. I think it's one of the things that we remember is that Jesus had told Peter that Satan had come to sift him. Right? That he was going to pray for him. And pridefully, what did Peter say? I'll die for you. He took off. He ran just like the other disciples. And here he is following at a distance. He told him not to fall asleep, and yet Peter fell asleep when they were supposed to be praying. He told him, look, if, if you continue to do this, you're going to fall into what? Temptation. And let me tell you something. When you're in the enemy's backyard and warming yourself by his fire, temptation is right there, ready to get you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's... he's roaring around waiting to devour you and that greek word for be sober-minded actually means to be temperate dispassionate meaning that you don't have emotions and feelings in your stuff it also means to abstain from wine to keep sober what happens when we get drunk we got no bearings of what's going on i remember my my uncles would always say man the, the women would always look ugly at Nine o'clock, but by 12, they start looking beautiful. Because he was drunk. I know that's a bad thing to say, but that's my uncle. He was, a, he was an alcoholic. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
As followers of Christ, we are to be filled with the Spirit of God, connected to the power of God. Now, I want you to understand, look, when we look at the Scripture, it's very easy to be very critical about Peter. But Peter is us. Peter is humanity. At some time, you will find yourself warming yourself up by a fire created by the enemy. You need to be careful. Because the devil will come around ready to, to chomp you up like a roaring lion. When we see Peter, it's a, it's a sad place to be. The question you have to ask yourself, is there a distance between me and Jesus today? Is there a distance between me and the Bible? Or am I spending time in God's Word? If I allow distance, if I allow distance in my prayer life, you're to be on guard, to be sober-minded. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, about the, the armor of God. God has provided you the armor. He didn't put it on you. You have to do that daily. In verse 55, it says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. They couldn't find anybody. So let's make up some. The Sanhedrin was not permitted to initiate charges. They were supposed to, their, their whole existence was to protect the Jewish people. And they're going to break the law and allow corruption in the court. And sadly, we see a lot of this happening in our own United States today. We see corruption everywhere, within every level of government. Every level. You know what? God will expose it. And I believe some of that stuff has been done. And yet they could find nobody to give testimony. So they go and they find somebody to give false, to do a false witness. In verse 56, it says, For many bore false witness against them, but their testimony didn't agree. So their testimony doesn't even line up. It's just and the hypocrisy of the, the court system of the Sanhedrin and the chief priest. And Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 through 19 says this about false witnesses. A single witness shall, shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall be a charge be established. Sounds very familiar to our laws, don't it? I think most people don't realize that 70% of our laws are based upon the Bible. In America, 75%. You have to have at least two witnesses. They want to corroborate the story. The more witnesses, the better. It says, Our three witnesses are charged be established. In verse 16, If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord before the priests and the judges who were in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently if the witness is false witness and has accused his, his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So honestly, what should have happened to the 70 members of the Sanhedrin, the elders, the chief scribes, and the, uh, they should have been taken out back and stoned to death. Because they allowed false witness and they knew about it. And they knew it was false. If they went by the law of Moses, this is what should have happened. But it just goes to show that the trial was always rigged. In verse 57, And some stood up and bore false witness against them, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands. And in three days I'll build another. Not, my, not made with hands. Yet even about their testimony it did not agree. So in John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, the actual words of Jesus, 
So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? In verse 19, Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Very different than I will, I will destroy this temple, right? That is made with hands. It doesn't line up. It didn't line up at all. You know, the saddest thing is, is, is really the most evil thing is when you have a lie. See, when you have a lie that's a lie, that can be disproven. But what we have happening now today is when you have a lie with a little sliver of truth, those are hard to be dealt with. So Jesus did say he would destroy the temple, right? But they just gave a little sliver of truth in there. Those are harder to fight. And that's what's sad about when we have, when we have people that will, will come up to, to testify against us or to, to be a false witness against us. Like, Can I tell you this? You don't have to defend yourself every time. If you're above reproach, you're pursuing righteousness, pursuing holiness, you don't need to defend yourself. You don't. God will. God will. Now that we've seen the false witnesses, let's look at the firm response from Jesus in verse 60. And the high priest stood, stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Now, Caiaphas jumps up because he knows this is falling apart. This is all falling apart. So we've got to make a spectacle of this. I've got I to gotta try to get everybody pumped up again. So he jumps up and says, Have you no answer to make? What is this that these men testify against you? Jesus didn't say anything. In verse 61, he says, But he remained silent and had no answer. And we know in Isaiah 53, 7, it says, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that bore its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And again, when you have a, an allegation made against you, you don't have to open your mouth. In Proverbs 30, verse 5, it says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. God is our defender. In Isaiah 50, verses 7 and 9, it says, But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near uh, to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. We don't have to address every issue because we have God. Now, I do believe that there are things that are biblical that we have to stand up for. And I will tell you, when you come to church on Wednesday, leave your feelings at the door because we have to talk about marriage. And that's hard for people. We have to talk about being created male and female. This is all in Genesis in chapter 2. We have to talk about that. We have to talk about why the culture is so contradicting it right now. It's not the culture, it's the devil. That's what people aren't seeing. Because if it goes, if this is what God's created, what do you think the devil wants to do? He wants to destroy it. He wants you to think that there are no male or females. I mean, it gets, it gets bad. And so we'll talk about those things. But I, one of the things I do believe is I love that part in Isaiah 50, verse 8, where it says, let us stand up together. The church needs to stand up. When it comes to biblical truths, 
the church needs to stand up. When it comes to what th- that contradicts the Word of God, we, I can't support that. But I, what we see is we see, you know, everybody's kind of trying to figure out where their footing is and what they're supposed to do. And, and the reality of it is, is if it goes by God's Word, that's what we stand with. And that means we stand together. And sometimes it will hurt people's feelings. We're not trying to do that. This is God's Word, okay? This is how we live our lives. It's funny, you can live your life however you want, but when it comes to me trying to live a biblical life, that's wrong. I'm telling you, y'all need to wake up because Virginia, the lady's trying to pass a law like if you don't allow your child to become LGBTQA, you can go to jail if you try to keep them from doing it. Biblical truths are going to be on trial next. That's why the devil's gone after this. Look, I, I can share with you what the Word of God says. If you choose to live your life that way, that's your choice. That's, that's your choice. And I understand that. I, I, I'm not going to sit and beat you over the head with the Bible. That's your choice. But we do need to stand together when it comes to the Word of God. And we need to live our lives based upon the Word of God. I think that's very important. And sometimes we don't have to say anything. God will take care of it. I think if more Christians spent more time in prayer for the nation, prayer for our leaders, prayer for for things to be exposed and things to be done, God would do that. In verse 61 it says, But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now the word that's there for Christ is Christos, and it, it means in the Greek it is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One. It's funny, the high priest, the Anointed One, is, has the Messiah in front of him, and he's asking the question. But it's Leviticus 8.12 that the high priest, and he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to concentrate, consecrate him. So here you have the high priest who's been anointed, doesn't, doesn't want to believe that he's the Messiah. And it's not because there wasn't proof. There was plenty of proof. He just doesn't want to go up against the change that needs to happen in the temple, the way it's going to affect things. I'm, I'm not, we're going to have to get rid of this guy. They knew he would teach, was teaching with authority. They knew that he was healing people. They knew that he was doing all these miracles and casting out demons, and yet the anointed one, the Messiah, is right in front of him, and he doesn't, doesn't recognize it. Or he doesn't want to recognize it. He asks a question that he knows that Jesus will ask. And the way that it's asked, this is very, you know, gets really really detailed. And I wasn't great in English, but when I started looking at this, the way that it's asked, it's actually asked in the Greek. It is I, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. So the way that the the high priest is, uh, or the chief priest is asking the question Caiaphas, he's actually answering the question as he asks it. He's confirming who Jesus is the way he puts the question. It is I, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. So he knows that God is going to, uh, Jesus is going to answer this question. And that word, Son of the Blessed, actually in Matthew 26, verse 63, it tells us it is Son of God. Son of God. And so Jesus will answer him because Caiaphas is so desperate for a conviction. He knows that Jesus will answer this. Why? Why will Jesus answer this? 
he's under oath. It's in the record. He's under oath telling you who he is in the Sanhedrin. He says, Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus testifies under oath, and he, he goes back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And then he ties in Psalm 110, verse 1, and Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And the Sanhedrin and the elders and the scribes would have known this because they studied the law. In Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the ancient days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion which shall never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And then in Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He comes from the clouds of heaven comes from the clouds of heaven and he seated at the right hand the son of man he actually i love this as as jesus testifies what does he do he gives them scripture he gives them scripture and we'll see him again in revelation chapter 1 verse 7 it says behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see see him and even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen He'll, he'll come again at any time he can show up. In verse 63, it says, And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard, heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death, and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. It's sad because the... The trial itself should have never happened. And the way that it was presented, it should have never happened. Um, you know, and, and, and Caiaphas with his theatrics and theater, tearing his, you know, clothes there, his garments. It tells you in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 10, the priest who is the chief among his brothers, on whose head the, uh, the anointing oil is poured, and who is consecrated to wear the garment, shall not let the hair of his head hang Loose, nor tear his clothes. He's in front of the Sanhedrin and he does what? He actually breaks the law of Moses. This was part of the Levitical laws. And he breaks the law by tearing his clothes. Even the chief priest. Like they're not following anything. Even though that's a minor detail. It just goes to show you that they didn't care. And when they ask that question, what is your decision? You have heard the blasphemy, what is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. The 24-hour period did not happen. They were supposed to wait 24 hours before they made their decision. And how do you get 70 people to agree on anything that quickly? Right? Not unless they already knew what they were going to do. And the sad part is this just begins the, uh, just the beginning of the abuse, the physical abuse that Jesus will start. And they begin to spit on him. And to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards receive him with blows. When it says receives them with blows, they're actually closing their fists and hitting them. And the worst part of it is, is his face was covered. 
In Matthew chapter 26, verse 68, it says, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? They're mocking him, walking up and just taking pop shots at him. He has no clue where the, 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 the blows are coming from. Fully God, fully man, right? And this is the beginning of the suffering, the physical abuse. This is just the start of it. And sadly, it'll get worse as the hours come closer to the cross. In Isaiah 52, 14, As many were astonished at, to, uh, at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. They're going to beat him to the, play, to the point where you can't even tell who he is. That's how badly beaten up he'll be. And then finally, we see the failure and the fall of Peter in verses 66 through 72. And Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. So you can imagine Peter's face is lit up by the enemy's fire. And this little servant girl, I mean, you have to understand, these are, there, there would have been guards there. And Peter's just kind of trying to blend in, hanging out by the fire. And his face lit up, and one of the little girls sees him, and she's like, you're one of them. You can imagine the blood just rushing from his face. And one of the things we know in Luke chapter 22, verse 56, it says that she looked closely. She looked intently. In the Greek is what it means. She looked intently. Like I'm looking at you eye to eye. Hey, that's you. I've seen you. Right? And, and she not only says Jesus of Nazarene, she pulls out his hometown. The same hometown that had the poor reputation of Nazareth. Remember what they said at the very beginning? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And here Peter is. And where was Peter supposed to be along with the disciples? Anybody think about that? What did Jesus tell him back in Mark 14, 28? He says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to where? Galilee. So what should have happened when he was arrested? Peter should have said, disciples, let's go. We need to make our way to Galilee. That's where he was supposed to be, but he didn't listen to Jesus. And this is what happens when you follow Jesus at a distance. You mix, you mix up what the rules of, of, of what your walk is supposed to be. Well, I think I can do that. Next thing you know, you're by the enemy's fire. Jesus tells you to go left, but you decided I'm going right. I think he said right. We make those mistakes. But Jesus gave him clear instructions. I will go before you to Galilee. In verse 68, it says, But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understood what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. I would challenge you, if you live anywhere by, by where roosters are at, every time I hear him crow, I think of Peter. Every time. I don't know why. I didn't do that before, before Christ. But now, when I, when I hear him, I think about, man, I'm like, man, how, does, how haunting that would have been for Peter every time he heard that. I mean, he had a chance to tell the truth, but he lied. Verse 69, And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystander, This is the man, this man is one of them. Now we know this is a different servant girl because in John 18, 17, it tells us this is the servant girl at the door. She was at the door. So Peter gets up and moves to closer to another fire by the door. And now another little girl comes up and she, she challenges him. And, and it's, it's sad because she recognizes Peter as well. But again, he denied it. He denies it the second time. 
And Peter's on trial here himself, and he's not doing well. And one of the things he says in John 18, 17, he said, he said, I am not. I am not. What did Jesus say? I am. He responds, I am not, which is a complete contrast to what Jesus said. I am. In Mark 14, 62, it says, and Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. I am. Now, Peter's only comfort right now is a human fire. He's, he's hung out to dry. The devil's just prowling around, ready to devour him. I would like to thank you for taking time to listen to our broadcast. This is uh, Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. If you're someone like me who is uh, listens to a lot of podcasts, you can also listen to us on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Audible, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, just type in Calvary Chapel uh, Divine and you'll you'll be able to track us down. And lastly, I just wanted to invite you out to church. Uh, we are a casual church that meets in a non-traditional building, uh, meaning that we meet at the VFW 3966 on West College Avenue, big white building right next to the the post office. Uh, if you want to get more information about our church, if you need to ask uh, some questions or you even need prayer, just go to calvarydivine.org. And uh, we want to thank you again just for listening to this broadcast of Calvary Chapel Divine Texas, Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. God bless you. Have a good one.